Hey folks, welcome to our special seven questions edition of How to Win a Campaign. I'm Martin Diego Garcia, and you can find us at CMPWRKSHP on Twitter or at the Campaign Workshop on Instagram. As you know, in this series, we're talking to some of our favorite authors, content creators, and influencers. You can find our seven questions that inspired this conversation at thecampaignworkshop.com or in today's show notes. Today's guest is Bob Keefe, who is the executive director of E2, a national nonpartisan group of business leaders who advocate for policies that are good for the economy and good for the environment. Keefe primarily focuses his attention on economic benefits of smart environmental policy, clean energy econo- economy, jobs, and related issues. Prior to beginning his work at E2, Keefe spent more than 20 years a political, business, and environmental journalist. He is the author of the recently released Climate Nomics, Washington, Wall Street, and the Economic Battle for Our Planet, which was released in May. And for more information on that book, you can go to climatenomicsbook.com. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Oh, thank you. It's great to be with you. So you've had quite an interesting career, and I would love for you to talk a little bit more about your background and let our listeners know, how did you end up in this role as the executive director of E2? Absolutely. Well, thank you for that. And as you mentioned, I, you know, I spent about 20 years as a business, a technology, a political journalist before joining E2 uh, about a decade or so ago. And, you know, one of the reasons I was really attracted to this work is because I realized over a lifetime in journalism and talking to business people, talking to lawmakers, talking to others, just how important and how influential and how powerful really business voices and business leaders can be on impacting policy. Now, when we're talking about climate and environmental policy, we don't necessarily always think about business voices and the importance to that. But this is a show about campaigns. I can tell you that there are a few voices that are more influential than business people with lawmakers in Washington and in our state houses. And You know, what I really love about E2 is that we're an organization of more than 10,000 business leaders right now who are using those voices, their voices for good, for the good of the economy and the good of the environment. Absolutely. And I think you're right. Having those key messengers that voters trust, that lawmakers trust, right, is always crucial to ensuring that the issue that you're fighting for is getting the attention that it needs. In your opinion, what are the most pressing issues right now, economy or otherwise, that are associated with climate change today? Well, the most pressing issues are the ones that every one of us are living through and paying for every day right now. You know, as I focus on in the book, Climatonomics, the cost of climate change is simply battering our economy right now. Last year, we had $150 billion worth of damage from climate-related disasters, wildfires in the West. So many hurricanes in the east, we ran out of names for them. Flooding and drought in our nation's heartland and in our farming communities, that's now driving up the cost of everything from cornflakes to chicken that all of us pay at the grocery store. But, you know, those direct economic costs, $150 billion is a lot of money, by the way. We're talking about the equivalent of the gross state product of about 15 different states, $150 billion. But that's really just the tip of the iceberg, so to speak. Look at homeowners insurance. Homeowners insurance is up 40% over a decade's time, in part because insurance companies are seeing record losses from all of these natural disasters. Drought and flooding from other climate disasters added nearly $30 billion to the cost of crop insurance that every taxpayer pays for. That's according to Stanford. And just look at the heat wave that just impacted the entire country, driving up air conditioning costs forcing businesses to cut hours or close, 
And even worse than that, look at what happened in Kansas. I don't know if you saw this, but in Kansas, 2,000 cows keeled over dead from heat stroke. I did see that. It's crazy, isn't it? That's uh, wild. Something like $4 million worth of losses, potential losses to ranchers. In the Bay Area, in California, a BART train just derailed. Somebody's got to pay for that. Guess who? Taxpayers, me, you, and everybody else. Yeah, I live in California out here, and I feel like the expenses we do to just try and even maintain fire season is exponentially gone up because yeah. it's become yeah. longer. It's become more fierce. We are losing houses. We are losing communities. And it's all to do the climate change. Absolutely. And, and we're paying a lot more money for fire suppression. We're having to hire a lot more firefighters and put them in harm's way. Exactly. Uh, it's taxpayers that have to do that. Can you talk a little bit about why you all focus on the intersection between business and government as sort of a necessary way to address climate change? How do you all think about catering to or talking to both business folks alongside sort of policymakers? Well, as we discussed, business voices are just so important and influential with lawmakers generally. You know, in my time as a journalist, in my time working at E2, I can tell you that there's nothing politicians like more than kissing babies, going to ribbon cuttings and talking about jobs and economic growth. And they're not it's why they run for office. That's right. That's right. They're not kissing too many babies anymore, but they sure are talking about when jobs come to their towns. Uh, or economic growth happens and businesses that make that happen. But even more broadly, you know, businesses, uh, as I mentioned in the book, are, are just key to the solution. Right now, every major company in America is moving to clean energy renewables. Why? Well, of course, it's the right thing to do, but it's also because solar and wind are the cheapest power available just about any part of the country. Businesses are also realizing the other side of what I call the climate nomics coin as well which is the cost. And those businesses are now relocating away from places that are prone to hurricanes or wildfires or flooding to places that are safer and it can, so they can keep their businesses up and running and the profits flowing. But unfortunately, they're running out of places to go. It's an issue that we really need to address uh, in this country. We need to do something about climate change and the costs that come with it. Yeah, yeah, totally agreed. I mean, can you talk a little bit to our listeners who are likely in communities where they may want to be advocating on this particular issue? Why is advocacy in this space so important? How do sort of in efforts of individuals or communities really help to push and create change at the local level? Well, both at the local level, the state level, the federal level, it doesn't matter. There are a lot of folks out there talking to lawmakers trying to get what they want. And if you're not talking to them as well, you're not going to get what you want. And poll after poll after poll after poll in this country has shown that Americans want more clean energy, they want action on climate, and they want their lawmakers at the federal, the state, the local level to do more about that. Politicians and elected officials look a lot at polls, but they also listen. And if we're not in there talking to them about the economic cost of climate change, the economic benefits of climate action, along with all the other costs and benefits, whether it's health or social issues or American competitiveness or national security that is all tied to climate change, then they're going to be hearing from fossil fuel companies. They're going to be hearing from others. And you can believe that those types of companies and incumbent industries that don't want to change are spending a ton of money and are spending a ton of time with those lawmakers. We've got to go out, represent and, and talk about the other side of this equation. 
Oh, absolutely. Right. They're sitting in the offices and booking the meetings and spending a ton of money to be right up in their faces all That's day, right. every day. Right. And we're relying on individuals and business owners to, to continue calling folks to advocate for our side. Can you talk a little bit about what E2 has learned by incorporating this business perspective into the analysis of environmental issues? In particular, was there anything in your time at E2 that surprised you? Yeah, well, I wouldn't say it's a surprise, and it shouldn't be a surprise, but it is a little hard to get your head around when some people have made climate change and the environment and clean energy a partisan issue. The fact is, it's not. It shouldn't be. When we talk about these disasters, this $150 billion worth of climate disasters, that's not just happening in blue states or red states. It's not just California on fire. It's Louisiana underwater from repeated hurricanes. It's not just New York and blue states getting hit by flooding. It's Iowa and Indiana and other places in the Midwest. So climate change does not know geography, geology, or politics. It's happening everywhere. On the other side of the coin, what we've also found at E2, and one of the things my organization has done for a long time, Martin, is, is, is look at where clean energy jobs are growing around the country. And every year we put out something called Clean Jobs America. And what we found is that there are almost as many clean energy jobs now in Republican congressional districts as there are in Democratic congressional districts. And given the growth we see in things like electric vehicles and battery storage, that sort of thing, and where those companies are going, there's going to be more jobs in Republican and red states working on electric vehicles and clean energy than there are in Democratic districts. So, you know, the message is if, if you as a lawmaker want these jobs in your backyards, if you want to do something about the economic damage that's being inflicted on your constituents because of climate change, you need to do something about it and you need to pass policies in Washington that's going to address climate change, expand clean energy, innovation, and make us all more competitive with the rest of the world. Which hopefully is exactly what they want. But sometimes, you know, I question some of them. Can you talk a little bit more? You named a couple of them, but to put a finer point on it, and just in case there are any business owners listening to our podcast, what are some of the economic benefits that come from having corporations or businesses focus on smart environmental policies? Well, the economic benefits are multifaceted, I guess. You can't have a good business if you don't have a good environment. You can't stay in business if your planet's on fire. You can't sell your goods if your factory is underwater because of nonstop flooding or on fire from wildfires, you know, basic stuff. But again, businesses can, and in many cases are, already leading the transition to a cleaner economy. And that, that's one of the things that makes me hopeful, especially in these times when Congress seems to be butting heads on every single thing that they comes before them. The economics of climate change, the economic benefits of clean energy, again, solar and wind is the cheapest power available now. Energy efficiency saves businesses and consumers money with every monthly power bill by simply switching to LED lighting or Energy Star appliances or high efficiency HVAC and hot water systems. And businesses that are looking at their operating costs and their bottom line have to start factoring in those benefits and the economic costs of climate change into their, their thinking and their planning. Right. And not just think about the immediate, but also think about how it's going to save them in the long run. It's just smart for business. Now, some of our listeners 
may or may not be in the political space and right. or maybe thinking about how do they be more involved in the political space. Uh, could you talk a little bit about how your time as a journalist either informed or helped you with the work that you're doing now at E2? Well, in terms of people getting involved, I, I think there are many ways that people can get involved. First of all, they need to be talking to their lawmakers. After all, they elected them. They ought to be exercising their rights and their privileges to make sure that those lawmakers are doing what the people want. And as mentioned, what people want, poll after poll say, is action on climate and clean energy, and they want the federal government and state governments to do more on that. So that's the first thing about getting involved. If you're a business leader, look at e2.org, look at other organizations like ours. You know, what we do is we serve as a conduit. We help those business voices, amplify those business voices with lawmakers, with the media, with others to make sure they get engaged. And, you know, let's face it, the typical business CEO probably is not going to go march down the street with Greenpeace or dress up in a polar bear suit, but they might call their lawmaker and tell them how policy XYZ can impact their business and help them grow, for instance, if they're in clean energy or clean economy business, or how the lack of action in Washington is hurting their companies because of the economic cost of climate change. So yeah, if you want to get involved with E2, just go to E, the letter E, the number two, dot org to see what the work that they're working on and, and how to get involved. So last question for you. One, congrats on your book. But two, what are some of your favorite podcasts or books that you would recommend our listeners to take a listen to? A book I just finished, and it took me a very long time to finish it, not because it was dull or boring, but because it was very long, which is something called Wilderness Warrior, which is about Teddy Roosevelt. And it's a great book by a great author named David Brinkley. And one of the things that struck me and, and kind of resonated with me as I was reading that is, first of all, just how much Teddy Roosevelt did in terms of preserving and really shaping what America is, is about. He created 150 national forests, 51 federal bird reserves, five national parks. And he did all that, by the way, despite tremendous, tremendous pressure from timber companies, from oil and gas companies, from the opposing political party, uh, which, by the way, happened to be Democrats at the time. Teddy Roosevelt, of course, was a Republican. But Congress wasn't with him on all of these things. And business and industry was not with him on preserving these lands. They wanted to cut it down and make a lot of money selling timber. But President Roosevelt knew that this was the right thing to do for America. Give the nice way to say. had the courage to do what he thought was the right thing, even in the face of opposition from business, from the other political party and a Congress that didn't necessarily agree with them. We need to do that with climate change. We need to do that with climate action. We're running out of time. We are out of time. Or it's going to be our death, right? I think you're totally right. We need a lot more courageous leaders out there. And so appreciate that recommendation. Well, Bob, thank you so much. One, for the work that you do. Again, if you want to get involved with Bob over at E2, go to E2.org. Also, congrats again on the book, Climatenomics, Washington, Wall Street, and the Economic Battle for Our Planet. You can get a copy at climatenomicsbook.com or Amazon or wherever you order your books. Bob, thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. I appreciate it. Bob, thanks so much for joining us. For more on this topic, check out our blog at thecampaignworkshop.com. If you want to hear more of these, be sure to like, review, and subscribe on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. And until next time, I'm Martin Diego Garcia, breaking down how to win a campaign. How to win a campaign is Joe Fold, Martin Diego Garcia, Elizabeth Rowe, 
Dina Castillo, Amanda Ellis, Porobi Saha, and Anna Cruxen. Music by Danielle Pinto. Sound editing by The Sound Sanagoma. Special thanks to the team at the Campaign Workshop. Please review, like, and subscribe wherever you get your podcast.